Well, good morning. I'm Tommy Green. I'm the associate pastor here at Centerpoint. And this morning, we're going to continue on in our series on Exodus. As a matter of fact, inside your bulletin, you'll find an insert with an outline on it entitled, Meeting God at Mount Sinai. And if you need a pen to fill in the blanks as you follow along, if you just raise your hands, our ushers would love to come by and get you a pen. Once again, I want to give you a quick recap on the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is a rescue story. The children of Israel were in Egypt, and they were in slavery there. And they cried out to God and said, God, we need you to rescue us. And so God sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses. And after God had performed ten miraculous plagues in Egypt, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, said, Israelites, you can get out of here. You can go. And so Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt to the Red Sea. And when they got to the Red Sea, uh, Pharaoh decided that he had made a big mistake. So he sent his army after them to, to bring them back to Egypt. And when he did, when they found themselves at the Red Sea, God did a miraculous miracle by opening up the Red Sea. And the Israelites walked across it on dry ground. When the Egyptians began to pursue them, God covered it back with water, and they were all killed. Moses began to lead the children of Israel after that through the wilderness, and he followed God. And in the wilderness, God provided for them food and provided for them water, and he protected them and he provided for them. And God eventually leads them to Mount Sinai, the place that Moses had a year earlier met God in the form of a burning bush. And there at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel meet God. And this morning, we're going to talk about God's desire to have a relationship with the children of Israel and God's desire to have a relationship with us. Before we do, I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into today's outline. Father, I want to thank you so much uh, for the story of the Israelites and the story of Moses. And Lord God, as we've been going through this series, how many times it relates to us. I pray this morning, Lord God, as we take a look at uh, uh, Israelites meeting you on Mount Sinai, Lord God, that you would uh, bring application to our life. And, Lord God, as we realize that God wants to have a relationship with them, I pray that, Lord God, we'd realize that you want to have a relationship with us. And, Father, I pray that as we go through this, Lord, I pray the Scriptures would speak. I pray that you would move me out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in a mighty way. And we pray those things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Point one on your outline. At Mount Sinai, God laid out a plan for the Israelites to have a special relationship with him. Exodus says it this way. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness. They set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I have done to the Egyptians. You know how I have carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant... You will be my own special treasure from among the people of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. If you got your pen, I want you to underline that line. I want you to underline the line that says that God will make them a kingdom of priests and they're his very own holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. The Lord leads them to Mount Sinai. And when he does, he calls Moses up on the mountain and says, Moses, um, I want you to go down and I want you to explain to the children of Israel that I want to have a relationship with them. 
And I want you to remind them of all the mighty things that I have done for them. I've shown them that I'm bigger and better than all the gods of Egypt. I have provided for them. I, have, I've, I, I want to make them my very own special people. And every time I hear this story, I got to tell you, it reminds me of when I met my wife, Shelly. Because when I met my wife, Shelly, she was in need of someone to rescue her. She needed someone to rescue her from her affections and attentions to of another guy. (laughs) She had a boyfriend, and I just felt like that it was my responsibility and my duty to rescue her. And so, just like God had to prove to the Israelites that he was bigger and better than all the gods of Egypt, I had to set out to prove that I was bigger and better than that boy that she was dating. And so, if he could do something, I had to prove that I could do it better. And I had to do everything I could to win her attention and win her affection. And so, there were times that Shelly would be singing at a church, and he happened to not be there, but guess who happened to show up? And I began to prove that I wanted to have a relationship with her. And I eventually won her over. And I'm, I'm sure it's because I'm tall, dark, and good looking. And hopefully one of the three was good enough for her, okay? But I eventually won over her affections and her attention. And we begin to develop a relationship. We begin to... Um, um, to go out and to, I would take her out to nice places to eat and I would give her flowers and I would write her sweet notes. And, and eventually the relationship got to the point that I wanted to make sure that she understood that I was serious about this relationship. So I took her up on top of a mountain. I pulled out a ring and I placed it on her finger and I told her I wanted her to be my very own special girl. And she said yes. And eventually we stood in front of a church and we gave our vows and I promised that I would provide for her and that I would protect her and that I would always be faithful to her. And she in turn promised that she would love me in good times and bad times and when I was pretty and when I was ugly and that she would be faithful to me. And that is exactly what God is doing in this story. He's told the Israelites, I've proven myself to you. You know that I want to provide for you. You know that I want to protect you. Now, I want you to be my very own special people. And so God laid out a plan for the children of Israel to have a relationship with him. And a note on your outline states that through Jesus, God has laid out a plan for us to have a special relationship with him. Not only does God want to have a special relationship with the children of Israel, God wants to have a special relationship with you and with me. Here's the way Ephesians 1 through 4 says, 4 and 5 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. God's desire has always been to have a people that he could call his own. A people that he could bring into his very own family and that would choose him and that he would choose them. Now there are people today that believe that there are many ways to have that kind of special relationship with God. You know, you can have a special relation, God, 
through God, uh, to God with just through meditation or through nature or through some other form of religion that maybe Buddha can get you there, maybe Hinduism. But it's going to be very clear to us that God, we can have a relationship through God through only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. This is well John 3.16 puts it, For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, who that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God has made a way and made a plan for us to have a relationship with him. At Mount Sinai, God was laying out a plan for the Israelites to have a relationship with him. Point two on your outline states that at Mount Sinai, the Israelites had to purify themselves before they met God. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Everyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. So Moses went down to the people and he consecrated them for worship. And they washed their clothes. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from the ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain and all the Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of a fire. And smoke billowed into the sky like the smoke from a brick kennel. And the whole mountain shook violently as the blast of the ransom grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. God calls Moses up on this mountain. He says, listen, I'm going to come down. I'm going to meet the people. But before I do, here's what you have to do. You have to go and get them ready. You have to go consecrate them. them. In other words, you have to go set them apart and make them holy and make them pure. Because I'm a holy God, and, and, and I want to meet them. And the part of the story that I didn't put on there is not only did they have to go wash their clothes, they couldn't touch anything that had blood, and they couldn't have sexual relations for three days. And they had to make sure that they were right before God before they met him. And the reason for this is because you've got to understand, God is perfect. He is holy. He is pure. He is sinless. And a note on your outline states this, holiness is is a requirement for having a relationship with God. It means to be morally perfect, to be sinless, to be pure. So God wanted to have a relationship with the Israelites, but he had to make sure that they were pure before he did. Leviticus 11.45 puts it this way, For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. And if you'll turn your outline over to the next page, We'll take a look at the, how the writer of Hebrews puts this. He said, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And if you've got your pen, I want you to underline or circle the word, no one. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God wanted to have a relationship with the Israelites. The Lord wants to have a relationship with us. But the requirement for that relationship is holiness. It is. It is moral perfection. It is to be pure and blameless before God. That is the requirement that God requires of us to have a relationship with Him. 
You might say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be uh, morally perfect? What does it mean to be sinless? Well, point three on your outline states this. At Mount Sinai, God gave the Israelites an instructions on how to live a holy life. God said, you got to be pure. You got to be perfect to have a relationship with me. Now let me, you, now let me give you a definition of what it is to be morally perfect, what it is to be sinless. And so I want you to understand that God speaks these commandments out loud. All of the children of Israel are at the base of the mountain. God comes down and he speaks to them. So the first time he hears these commandments, or which we call the Ten Commandments, God is speaking them out loud. He says this, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself any idol or any kind of image or anything in heaven or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female servants, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to God. If you want to have a relationship with me, children of Israel, here's what you have to do. You have to keep all of these commandments. You have to keep all of these laws. And a couple of years ago, uh, our senior pastor, John, uh, gave a message on the Ten Commandments. It was on October 10th of 2010. It was 10, 10, 10. Any of you here remember that message? You all remember the little shorthand that he gave us for remembering the Ten Commandments? It's been very, very helpful for me of how to remember what the Ten Commandments are. And so I want to share with you that, with, that with you this morning. Matter of fact, if you'll take your bulletin or take your outline, if you'll turn it over to the back page, you'll see this little diagram there. And it's a little diagram of the shorthand of the Ten Commandments. And I want you to understand that when Jesus himself was asked about the Ten Commandments, this is what he said. He was asked, which of these Ten Commandments are the greatest? And he said, well, the first and most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And the second commandment is equal unto it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the things I want you to understand in this is that the Ten Commandments, and then he makes this statement actually, he says the entire law are all based on these two commandments. In other words, all of the Ten Commandments are based on these two. And so when you're looking at the Ten Commandments, it's very easy instead of trying to memorize all of them, you can realize that they're broken up into two sections. The first four commandments teaches how to love God. The next six commandments teaches how to love others. That's very simple. So if you can remember this, that they're broken up into two sections. The first four teaches to love God. The next six teaches to love others. And here's a little shorthand that John taught us that I thought was very helpful. First commandment is this, no, no other gods. Number two is no idols. Three and four are honor God's name and honor God's day. And these four help us to love God. The next six, which help us to love others, start with number five, obey your parents. Number six, seven, and eight is don't take your neighbor's life, don't take your neighbor's not, wife, and don't take your neighbor's stuff. Number nine is don't lie. 
And number 10 is don't covet. I want to go through this one more time, and then I want to see if we can do this together as a congregation. The first four commandments teach us to love God. Number one is no other gods. Number two is no idols. Three and four is honor God's name, honor God's name and honor God's day. The next six teach us to love others. They are number five, obey your parents. Six, seven, and eight are don't take your neighbor's life, don't take your neighbor's wife, and don't take your neighbor's stuff. Number nine is don't lie. And number 10 is don't covet. You think we can repeat that together as a congregation? Let's try this, okay? The first four commandments teach us to love God. Okay? And they are, number one, no other gods. Number two, no idols. Three and four, honor God's name, honor God's day. The next six commandments teach us to love love others. Number five is obey your parents. Six, seven, and eight are don't take your neighbor's life. Don't take your neighbor's wife. Don't take your neighbor's stuff. And number nine is don't lie. Number 10 is don't covet. And I hope that as we go through this, that this is just a good shorthand of how to remember the Ten Commandments. And uh, when we went through this, it was very helpful. And I can actually recite this pretty easily now. And And if you say, what are the Ten Commandments? I can go through this shorthand and it reminds me exactly what the Ten Commandments are. And let me tell you why it's important to know what the Ten Commandments are. And that's the note on your outline. Okay? The Ten Commandments are God's standard for living a holy life and prove that we all fall short. Okay? When you know what the Ten Commandments are, you understand what God's standards are of living a holy life. If you're going to live a holy life to be morally perfect, you've got to understand what the Ten Commandments say. Okay? Now, here's the good news. God wants to have a relationship with us. Here's also the good news. God has given us a plan. He's given us the Ten Commandments to prove to us and to show to us how to be holy. Here's the bad news. It's impossible to do. It's impossible for anyone to keep all of the Ten Commandments all of the time. It was impossible for the Israelites, and it's impossible for us. Here's what it says in Romans Chapter 3, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. I want you to underline and circle the word all. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Romans goes on to say that for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The Ten Commandments are like a mirror for us. When you look into, or at least when I look into a mirror, I see all of my imperfections, okay? I saw all the things that need to be changed about me. And when we looked at the Ten Commandments, and it tells us that we should not lie, yet we know in our lives that there are times in our lives that we've fibbed, that we've told a lie, that we've told a story. There are times in our lives we look at the Ten Commandments, and it says don't steal. As a young child, unfortunately, there was times in my life that I took things that I shouldn't have taken. The Word of God says that to keep the Lord's day, to keep it holy. There are times in our lives that we don't do that. So here's the deal. God said He wants to have a relationship with us, but to have a relationship with us, we have to be holy. And for us to be holy, we have to keep all Ten Commandments all the time. 
Back in Texas, we would call, I, would, I would say that we're up the creek without a paddle. We got a problem. We're in a no-win situation. Luckily, God gives us a paddle. For the Israelites, he said, listen, if you break the commandments, if you don't, do it through, if you don't follow all the Ten Commandments, here's your punishment. Death. But I'll tell you what, when you break the commandments, I'm going to put a sacrificial system in place so that you can be made right with me again. So when the Israelites would break the Ten Commandments, what they would do is they would take one of their flock, one of their herd, one of their sheep, one of their animals, and they would, they would slaughter it, and they would sacrifice it to God. And the priest would come, and they would take the blood, and he would sprinkle it on the people. And he would say that this animal was sacrificed for you because of your sin. And as I sprinkle this blood upon you, you can be made right with God again. That animal represented that it took their place and their punishment. And so each time that they would mess up, they would have to sacrifice over and over and over again. Can I tell you that God's given us a paddle too. He's given us a solution too. And that's the life application on your outline. God sacrificed his son Jesus so that we can become holy. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless, morally perfect life. He kept every one of those commandments. He didn't break a one. And then he turned around and he offered himself as a sacrifice for you and for me so that we could be made right with God. So that we could be holy in God's eyes. Is that good news? I mean, we were, we were, we were in big trouble, guys. Because if you want eternal life in heaven, you must have a relationship with God. And if you don't, that's an eternal life in hell. And relationship with God is the key. We have to be pure and holy before him. And the only way that you and I can be pure and holy before God is that we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done to make us holy. I don't know how I didn't put this scripture in there, but if you will on your outline, I would love for you to write 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21, and this is what it states. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Hebrews puts it this, this way. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all times. Acts goes on to say that we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. I want you to understand that God knew when he gave us the Ten Commandments, he knew that none of us would be able to, to, to obey all of them. And the Ten Commandments and the sacrificial system that he put in place in Israel were a shadow that pointed to Jesus Christ. They point that Jesus is the perfect one that could keep all of them, and it was by his sacrifice that we can come to God. 
And I want you to understand that Jesus loved us so much that God wanted to have a relationship with you so much that he came to earth and he was willing to be beaten. He was willing to be, uh, have stripes put on his back. He was willing to be put a crown of thorns put on his head. He was willing to be spit upon. He was willing to be made fun of. He was willing to be hung up upon a cross and to be crucified just so he could have a relationship with you, so he could have a relationship with me. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tell you this morning that God loves you, that God wants to have a relationship with you. And I want you to understand something. Those are not empty words. Those are not empty promises because God proved himself that that's exactly what he wanted to do when he went through all he went through on the cross. So that's not a, those aren't empty words. That's a promise from God. And you might be here this morning and you might have tried to find your way to God in a lot of different ways. You might have thought that you can do it through other religions or through meditation or whatever. And you've never really understood the importance of why Jesus, why we have to go through Jesus to have a relationship with God. If you're here like that this morning, I want you to understand you can have a relationship with God right now. If you will believe with what he did and what his sacrifice, the price that it paid for you, and if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, like these people that got baptized this morning did, you can have a right relationship with God. And we understand that God wants to have a relationship with us. And the only way we can do that is to be right with God through Jesus Christ. Now, point four on your outline states that at Mount Sinai, the Israelites were afraid to talk to God and demanded that Moses be their mediator. Exodus 20 goes on to say that when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horde, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billing up from the mountain, they stood at the distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us directly, directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them. For God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. When God came down and he spoke the Ten Commandments for everyone to hear and the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, looked like a volcano. It had smoke all over it, and there was fire, and there was uh, lightnings and thunders. And they heard God's voice speak. They turned to Moses and said, don't ever let that happen again. Matter of fact, Moses, if you, we want you to go talk to God for us. We want you to go be our go-between. You go minister to God. You go talk to him, and you come back and tell us what he says. We don't want to have a relationship with that kind of God. We don't want to have a relationship with him. We want you to have a relationship with for us. And a life application for us is that Jesus is our mediator so we can boldly approach God without fear. Jesus is our go-between between a holy God and a sinful people. And he has made a way for us to have a relationship with God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is only one God and only one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. Hebrews says that we can boldly enter God's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain 
into the most holy place. Because of what Jesus did, guys, we can come directly into God's presence. And I got to tell you, when I was going through this outline, I called John when he was up in Kansas, and I said, I was going through these points, and I got to this point, and John said, Tommy, now when you get there, you got to make sure that they understand this. You got to make sure that they say this, and they say this, and they say this. And I just turned on the phone and said, well, John, you sound like you're pretty passionate about it, so why don't you come up, and why don't you share those things? Because <laughs> I know you're ready, to, you're ready to, to share a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things that's very important, uh, one of the things that's very important for us to understand on all of this is exactly how uh, the point about Jesus being the mediator. Uh, the people of Israel, when God spoke to them on the mountain, as Tommy said, they grabbed Moses and said, Moses, you go talk to him. <laughs> We'll stay right here. There we go. Just like that. That's probably what Moses did too. You stand between us and holy God. Well, uh, and then they were cowering in fear. They'd been enslaved for hundreds of years. They didn't know what it was like to be, fear, to be free. And so they were afraid of God, and they're cowering back here, and we don't want to have any part of this. And Moses was their mediator and interceded for them. But the Bible says that for all of us, Jesus became the mediator. And he was a perfect, sinless man. He died on our behalf. He opened the doorway to heaven. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Follow me. Come to me. You want eternal life? Come. I'm the door. You can meet God himself. And so now the door is open. We don't need any more mediation than that. Jesus has opened the door. We can walk right into God's presence. In fact, if you could put that scripture back up from Hebrews 10, it says this, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because, sadly, some of us are still acting like the Israelites. We go, here, my Lord, send Tommy, okay? I'd love for him to go. God, I, I, want, I want the pastor to read the Bible, but I don't want to read it. He can explain it for me. I'll just go about my life and surf the Internet and watch television all week, and on Sunday he'll come and explain it to me. I, I'm sure there are some people who need to lead a connect group, but not me, Lord. Send someone else. Someone else can go on those mission trips. Someone else needs to pray. They come to my office or they come to Tommy's office or Don Darling at Pike Row. We're training staff people and other things. And they mistake the fact that because we have staff people, the staff people are supposed to do it all for them. John, you pray. I got to come in here and pray because, John, you got a special cell phone. You get through. I can't get through. (laughs) And I wanted to make sure that all of us understand when we organize this church, we have very capable staff people. I'm so grateful, Tommy, you prepared this lesson today. But do not misunderstand this. Just because we have capable teachers and just because we have wonderful worship leaders, do not misunderstand that they're here to do this for you. As I mentioned in an announcement a while back, if you come tonight and you look for a concert, you won't find it. You will find a worship experience. We have great worship leaders, great singers, or in Alabama we call them sangers, I guess. Okay, anyway, we have, we have great worship leaders up here. But they are not here tonight to put on a show for you. They're to lead you. In fact, some of the songs, they're just going to stop singing and let us sing. Because we're all in this together. The job of our staff people is to help equip you and train you and lead you. That's my job. Because I'm spending my life helping equip and train them. To help equip and train you. So we can all come to God boldly. Now, go to the last verse on your outline. This is what Peter was talking about. 1 Peter 2, 9. For you are a chosen people. He's writing to all Christians here. For you are a royal priest. You're a holy nation. Please underline that. God's very own possession. 
As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Now that part you underlined, Tommy had you underline the same thing. If you flip your outline back over, five lines from the bottom on Exodus 19, on the first paragraph up there, we underlined this. God said, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you'll be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Kingdom of priests, nation of priests, a holy nation, royal priests. Same thing. God's desire has always been for us to come to him. Don't make the mistake of saying, hey, somebody else has to go. Lord, send somebody else, not me. Lord, I'm just going to cower back here. Romans 8, Paul says, we're no longer cowering slaves. We're children, God's dearly beloved children. Our staff, we want to view this, that we're going side by side. We'll help you. Hey, if you don't know how to read the Bible, well, we'll teach you. You don't know how to pray? We'll teach you. We'll help you. We'll equip you. You want to go on a mission trip? We'll find a way. Get in a connect group. Read your Bible every day. You need a reading plan? We'll show you how to use it. But the goal is for us all to go together. Do not misunderstand this. We're not to be cowering slaves anymore. God wants a relationship with us. Jesus has opened the door wide open, and all of us can enter in. And what's great about that is, is then we can be his own special people, a kingdom of priests. What did he mean by that? What he meant by that was this. God told those children of Israel, hey, I'm going to bless you with, like nobody's ever seen anybody be blessed. I'll be your God, you be my people. If you obey me, I'll give you crops in season, I'll bless your families, I will bless you. And while all the other nations, he placed them strategically on a chunk of land in Israel between the major superpowers of the day. Every time somebody traveled through that country on business or any other reason, they were supposed to stop and go, how come y'all are so blessed? What's going on? And they go, because we worship the true God, the creator of heaven and earth. You want to know him? You know what you and I are supposed to do? We are supposed to be boldly enter into God's presence, come to know him, and then live out our faith in joy and in confidence every day. So when people come and have lunch with us or they visit with us and they see that we're not afraid and we're not consumed with worry and we're not hanging on to old guilt and we're not hanging on to old grudges and all this to go, how is it that if everybody else is afraid, you're not afraid? Well, because I trust God and he's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow and he's told me not to worry. Hey, how come you're able to forgive people when everybody else hangs on to grudges? Well, Jesus forgave me. How come you can be kind and considerate of others and even generous when you don't even have that much yourself? You know, the Lord says he'll supply for all my needs. If we live out that kind of faith, then it's like we're a kingdom of priests and we're showing people how to find their way to God. That's exactly what God has had in mind. But we need to learn from the lessons of the past. Let's not cower and be afraid. Let's boldly approach the Lord and say, God, I'm never going to be holy without your help. I can't do it. So God, I give my life to you. Lord, I'm never going to be the example I need to be unless you overflow out of my heart. I can't do it. So Lord, I give my life to you. I give my future to you. I surrender all to you. I ask you to make me holy and make me a light for you. It's what God has always desired. Just wants us to come to him. So today, I'd like to close this service this way. Um, If you're able, I'd like for you to turn around and turn your chair into a kneeling bench. And so if you're able to kneel, if you're not, just stay seated where you are. But the rest of us, if you're able, I'd like for you to do that right now. Just turn around 
and turn your chair into a kneeling bench. Tommy and I are going to kneel here on the stage, and we're going to spend some time praying together. And this is a prayer of surrender. We're going to ask God to use us to transform us into his people. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, God, I couldn't think of any better way than kneel in your presence. And, Lord, each one of us can come. We don't have to go to a special place. We can kneel right where we are and surrender our hearts to you. The first thing, Lord, I'd like to pray for is for anyone here today, as Tommy said, if you have not surrendered your heart to Christ in the past, today would be a day to do it. Oh, God, we need a Savior. We're sinners, each and every one. And we come to you now and say, Lord, if you don't forgive us of our sins, they can never be cleansed. If you don't make us holy, we'll never be able to stand in your holy presence. And so we come before you now and say, God, clean us up. Make us pure and right with you. And we acknowledge that Jesus made that possible. And we give you thanks that he died on the cross in our place. Oh, God, we come before you also. Many of us have made that decision years ago. And, Father, the thing we need to surrender is we need to surrender our availability. Lord, give us courage so we won't be like cowering slaves demanding that other people go. Give us the courage to be the people to go when you call our name. If you're at a point of decision in your life and there's some difficult decisions you need to make, would you pray for courage right now that you could boldly go where God wants you to go? without fear or compromise. And Lord, we want to be a kingdom of priests, people who can show how great you are to the whole world. And Lord, that's not going to happen unless you fill us to the full with your Holy Spirit. And so we surrender our lives to you now. Show us, Lord, if there are any sinful ways within us, sinful habits, dirty speech, things we shouldn't be tolerating in our lives and help us get rid of that sin. If there's something you've been hanging on to that's sinful and filthy and wrong, confess to the Lord right now and say, Lord, I want this rid of you. I want you to rid me of this in my life. I want to be fully and wholly devoted to you. Forgive me for my sins, Lord. Teach me to live rightly and show me what to do, where to find help so I can be the person you want me to be. But Father, I pray for a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that you place that in our hearts that we will want to do what's right and love what's holy and hate sin and evil. I pray, Lord, that we would desire with all of our hearts to worship you and to read your Bible every day. I pray, oh Father, that you would give us a peace that passes all understanding, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, Father, I just pray that you would give us the ability to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus to a hungry world where people are hurting all the time and need to know about you. We thank you for your word, God. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. We thank you for Moses and for the lessons that you taught us through his wonderful life. And help us boldly approach you, Lord, just the same way he approached the mountain and told people, don't be afraid. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus, 
the one who took away our sins. It's in his strong name that we pray. Amen.